Well, Brother Jay from the Philippines, that many, many years ago, quite a while ago. Why don't you come up? I'll give you just a couple of minutes. No preaching, just tell us who you are. Amen. And uh, enjoyed meeting him. I think it was when we uh, Nick went over with us over to the Philippines. And so why don't you just kind of tell who you are and where you're at and what's going on. Okay, good evening. I'm uh, Brother Jay, missionary from Thailand. Uh, my wife, she's with us. And then... Uh, her uh, older sister. Okay, I have two children. Uh, both of them was born in Thailand. Mm. Okay, and I'm still remember I met your pastor 15 years ago. Yeah, wow. Uh, together with Brother Nick, <laughs> 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 and then some of the young people in our ch in your church. And I'm glad that God called me in the foreign land, Thailand. Uh, so what I did, I studied their language. And then, by the way, the Thai they have uh, 44 consonants. Mm. <laughs> And then 27 vowels. Oh. And uh, Thai language in the tonal, tonal tone. They have the normal tone, falling tone, rising tone, or what kind of a tone. Okay. <laughs> For example, when you say come, when you say come in Thai, it's ma in a normal tone. When you say in high tone, ma, that is a, a, a dog. <laughs> That's <laughs> oh why you need to be goodness. careful. When you say come, say ma in a normal tone. When you say ma in the high tone, that is a uh, a dog. <laughs> okay. So by the grace of God, after six months, okay, I learned how to speak, write, and then read Thai. And then what I did, I worked a local church in Bangkok for me to learn how to deal with the Thai people, to share the gospel. And then after uh, a year, I went back to the Philippines. I got married to my mm. wife. And then after that, uh, we went back again in Thailand. And then he started a ministry in the northern part of uh, Thailand, that is Chiang Rai. Mm -hmm. Chiang Rai is a mountainous place. Uh, there are many people who live there. From the border of Thailand and then La and Burma is only one hour drive. Mm -hmm. And then from Th uh, Thailand, the border of Thailand to Laos is only one, one hour drive in our mm -hmm. place. So if you go to Chiang Rai, you can go to Burma and Laos, and then seven hours drive going to China. Mm -hmm. So what we did, uh, we started the church right there in the northern part of Thailand. So for the first service, uh, there are seven uh, Filipinos attended mm. our church. So I preached in Tagalog, not Thai. <laughs> <laughs> and then the second service, only four of us, me, my wife, and then two children for the second service. So I did not preach in Thai, I preached in Tagalog. <laughs> But in the third service, there one Thai family attended. So until now, that Thai family, they are still in our church. And then I still remember the, uh, uh, the past month, we celebrated our fifth church anniversary. And it's good. We have around 30 Filipinos attended, attend, attended our church. And then 40 Thais, they are uh, uh, members in our church. Mm, and then please do pray for us. Uh, <laughs> we just arrived yesterday. Okay, and I have a friend in Ohio. They are willing to help our ministry. They will go. They're, giving, they're going to give eyeglasses because that eyeglasses we're going to use that in the mountainous area. Because in Shanghai, we have many tribes: Aka tribes, Hmong tribes. They live in the mountainous area, and heart and our heart desire in our church that we could reach them. And uh, please do pray for us. <laughs> If you'd like to be a partner in our church, the minister in Thailand, 
we're, we're willing to, be, to have a connection with your pastor and your church. And then, by the way, the Thai is a Buddhist country, 95%, and only 1% known as Christian, mm. including the Catholic, Protestant. But our hearts desire in our church that we could preach the gospel. In, in Thailand, there's no such five-minute soul winning. I said, remember, there's an old, an old man attended our church for more than a year. Then mm. after that, he believes Christ. And he got baptized. Mm, and you know what happened? The last, uh, last Sunday, I, got, I baptized one of our members. She believes Christ. She attended our church for more than four years. And then last Sunday, she decided to, to be baptized. So she got baptized. So please do pray for the tithe. It's not easy. Okay. Mm, uh, we need patience. Okay. Yeah, but uh, it's good. Uh, the Lord is working right now in, that, in our church in Shanghai. Even though I still remember when I talked to my pastor, Pastor Vic Carpio, mm. he told me, uh, Jay, this is what he told me, Jay, uh, I was not going to send you to Thailand as a missionary. Uh, he told me there's so many missionaries there. So I went there for a survey, but they don't, they don't went back there and start a church. And then my pastor told me, you did not start a church in, in the Philippines, so you must better just pray. Mm. But you know what? I need to pray for my pastor. I need to convince him. And then one day, he believes that God is calling me in Thailand. Mm. So my pastor, Vic Carpio, okay, he commissioned me. And then my pastor told me, okay, you can go for deputation, local deputation. But you know what? No one believes me because I'm still young. <laughs> so what I did, I talked to my pastor. Pastor, God is calling me to go there in Thailand. Okay, so my pastor Vic sent me out there in Thailand. With, uh, he doesn't promise any amount of support. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you know what? The Lord is working. As of now, the church is five years. And uh, it's good. I'm so excited. We're praying that this year we could have 100 people in our church. Mm. And so please do pray for us. We're going to stay here in America just for six weeks. Then after that, we could go back immediately in Thailand. Mm. Uh, as of now, we are praying for uh, support because we don't have. Uh, my wife, she just resigned from her job because we are helping each other. Uh, we are just praying for, <laughs> it might be in one church, just uh, $10 a month. That's a, a big help for us so that we could uh, continue the ministry for the needs in my family and then for the needs in our church. But as of now, our two children, they're happy. Okay. Amen. And then, by the way, uh, we cannot afford to come here in the United States because we don't have money. But we have our friends in, in Ohio. They paid all our plane tickets. Amen. So it's good. Okay, uh, our God, He is rich. And then I believe uh, God is uh, keep, keep on working in our church. And as of now, uh, please do pray for us. We're praying for a pickup truck, a Ford, a high racer, so that we could reach the people who live in the, in the, in the mountainous area. Mm -hmm. So what within our church, we, we try to save money in our church, just $5,000 a month. But as of now, we cannot reach that money. <laughs> So what we're going, as of now, we're praying for $5,000. We're going to use that money for the down payment, okay? And then our church, we're going to pay that uh, car just a monthly basis, payable for six months, uh, six, six years, not six months, okay? And if you could uh, 
help us for the down payment, for us to buy uh, a pickup truck, a Toyota Ford, a high racer, mm. so that we could risk those people who live in the mountain. And I believe after six, uh, six weeks here in uh, America, I believe that God will provide that, that, uh, that needs in our, in our church in, in Thailand. So, Pastor, thank you very much for allowing me. <laughs> uh, it's a great blessing to be here together with my family. Amen. God bless you. Amen. If you were talking about a Chevy, we might consider it, you know. <laughs> I'm a GM man. We're going to look at 1 John. I remember uh, meeting Jay uh, many, many years ago. I didn't realize it was 15 years ago, but I remember one of the things was that he was a man of faith and just was stepping out and uh, doing what the Lord wanted him to do. And nobody else understood it, but he did. So praise God. And uh, good to see you again, Jay. In 1 John chapter uh, 1, we want to begin reading verse 8 through 10. It says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the, uh, the, the clearness of the Apostle John as he instructs us about our life and our walk with our God. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts in a special way tonight. Uh, as we uh, contemplate how we are to deal with sin in our life. And uh, we're thankful that the Word of God is straight and is direct, it's true, it's powerful, it changes lives. And we're thankful to be able to study this together this evening. And so notice he tells us that this chapter is we're dealing with last week, we looked at the Christian and his fellowship. And uh, tonight we want to consider the Christian and his sin. John begins this chapter dealing with fellowship. And there's nothing more devastating to our fellowship with God and other Christians than sin. Uh, uh, over the years I watch people allow themselves to be tempted and drawn away after the lust that's in this world. And the next thing you know they're out of church, their lives are ruined I've watched families fall apart because of just ignoring the effects of sin in our life. And I really believe that we ought to keep a short account with God. Uh, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just forgive our sins. And so we need to hold to that truth and, and, uh, and deal with the reality that sin will destroy us and destroy our fellowship with others. And so John, in verses 8 through 10, gives us some insight for those uh, who think they have arrived spiritually. And uh, I've run into some people over the years that just think uh, they're all that as far as when it becomes uh, dealing with being a Christian. I've run into people over the years that think uh, that they don't sin and that they don't have any sin in their life. But John in 1 John is not writing to the unsaved. He's writing to the Christian. And when he's dealing with this matter of sin, he's not dealing with the sin in the unsaved heart. He's dealing with the sin that's in the Christian heart. And, he's, and we have to address those things. If we don't address those issues, uh, then we're not going to be able to uh, be successful in our Christian life. Notice, first of all, he tells us in verse 8, he starts out and says, If we say, so conversation versus reality. 
conversation versus reality. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And uh, certainly as a lost person, as a sinner, it's on his way to hell. Before you can get saved, you have to acknowledge that you're a sinner. And uh, oftentimes, uh, folks that are born again and have trusted Christ as their Savior will not acknowledge the fact that they have sin in their life that needs to be confessed, it needs to be dealt with, it needs to be, it need to experience cleansing from that. And so the conversation versus reality. And uh, we can say all we want what we are. You, I witness to people all the time and they say, oh, I'm a Christian. And then you start questioning them and evaluating their relationship with the Lord or the basis of why they say they're a Christian and not a Christian at all. And so you can say you're a lot of things, but uh, uh, you know, it's not the reality of that's working in our life. So first of all, what he does, he has sin that's described. And he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so, uh, first of all, sin described is, it is the transgression of the law. In First uh, John chapter uh, 3, in verse 4, uh, John reminds us that sin is nothing more than trans, uh, what, violating the law of God. First John 3, 4, uh, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And see, what we do is we oftentimes we say, well, we're in the New Testament, we're not in the Old Testament, but it's the Old Testament law that reveals what sin is. And when we violate the laws of God, we transgress or break the law of God, we're in sin. And so we're going to literally have to deal with that issue. Uh, James tells us that we violate one point of the law, that we're guilty of the whole law. And uh, once again, remember who he's writing to. He's writing to believers when he says that. And uh, so we're, the sin, we need to describe what is sin. And because today, everybody redefines everything nowadays, you know, and uh, they redefine uh, what's, what's male, what's female. They re redefine what is acceptable in society and what's not acceptable in society. And since man's always redefining everything, and uh, I remember years ago, I preached a message, homosexual, homosexuality, uh, sin or lifestyle. And because back then, that's what it basically they were approaching it. It's just a different lifestyle. Is it a lifestyle or is it sin? See, God's law says you cannot live that type of a lifestyle. So when you live that type of lifestyle, you're transgressing the law. And so when we break God's law, uh, it, that is a sin that needs to be dealt with. It's not a mistake. It's, it's not just a failure. It's a sin. And if we don't identify sin as sin, we'll never get it right with God. So it's the transgression of the law. We let her be there. It means sin is to come short of God's glory. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And whenever there is sin in our life, it puts us in a position where we are not at the position of fulfilling the glory of God. God saved us for His glory. And we're to live our lives for His glory. And so when I allow sin to come in my life, then 
sin, I've violated, I've transgressed some part of God's law, then I'm certainly not living up to the glory that God has prepared for me to experience. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But it's also, let us see there, to turn to one's own way. Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 3 tells us that. That we are all like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has gone his own way. And the amazing thing is that when we allow ourselves to be constantly choosing the way we're going to live is to be diametrically opposed to the way that God says we're to live. Because we're not supposed to live the way we feel that we should live. We're supposed to live the way God designed it and the way God describes it. And so uh, sin is described by uh, turning to one's own way. It is also described, and we have all these verses here. You can look up these verses and do a study later on, on. We won't have time to be able to look up every verse. But letter D there, it means to forsake the Lord. And the problem with Israel, the way they had sinned, according to Judges, chapter 10 and verse 10, is that they had forsaken their God. In uh, Genesis, I'm, I'm sorry, Judges, chapter 10 and verse 10, it says, And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, saying, We have sinned against thee, both because we have forsaken our God and also served Balaam. Now realize that when you forsake the Lord, you're going after something else. When you forsake God, you're pursuing the gods of this world. And Israel's problem, they had fallen into sin because they had forsaken their God. And, and how, how I watch oftentimes people will allow sin to come into their life and it causes them to turn away from the Lord and turn to other things in this world. So it's a forsaking of the Lord. It's also to do that which is wicked in the sight of God. Deuteronomy 9.18 reminds us of that. That when we are not living in accordance with God's commands and God's design for man, then we are living a life uh, that is wicked in the sight of God. See, man says that this, I don't care what, what, what the lifestyle may be, whatever sin you want to identify with or whatever conduct you want to identify with, man says, well, I think this is okay. Everybody today, that's what you talk with anybody. Well, if I feel this is okay, then it's okay for me. Well, no, it's not okay for you because it's wicked in the sight of God. We are not, we are not the baseline or the determining factor of describing what sin is. God is the one who establishes the baseline. God is the one who establishes the means by which we are to live. And so uh, to fall into sin is to live my life in a wicked way that's wicked in the sight of God. It may not be wicked in my sight. Today among Christians, a big thing that is being very popular is this matter of social drinking. I'm really shocked by that. And it's because people today who are Christians are saying, well, we just don't see where that's a bad thing. We just don't see where that, that's a problem. I mean, we're not getting drunk. We're just socially drinking. Yeah, but what does God say about it? Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived by their, thereby is not wise. So sin is coming under the deception of the reality of what God sees and how he feels about what we are doing. So sin is to do that which is wicked in the sight of God. 
it really doesn't matter if it's wicked in your sight. If I do something that's wicked in your sight, it doesn't matter at all. What matters is it wicked in the eyes of God. That's what matters. Notice also, uh, in letter F there, uh, sin is to do that which is amiss or just simply wrong. In 2 Chronicles, uh, Israel speaks about the fact that they, what they had done, they had done amiss. In other words, they had done it apart from the reality of what God's desire for their life. And as a result of it, they're just living their life in a wrong way, and that becomes a sin in their life. Letter G, it's just simply the lack of righteousness Romans 3.10, for there is none righteous, no, not one. And so uh, righteousness is not our own personal conduct that establishes what's right and what's wrong, but righteousness is what God has established as right and wrong, and we live in light of that righteousness that God establishes. Man in his sin cannot be righteous. But man, by the grace of God and by the uh, confession of our sin before the Lord and having faith in Christ, can have our sins forgiven and cleansed and released from us so that we might be able to live in the righteousness of God. And so the Christian needs to stop living in the realm of saying, well, I'm okay because I say. No, it's not based on what you say. What is it that God has said? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. How deceptive is sin? The world always makes sin look glorious. The world always makes sin look like something that's, that's good for you. And the devil is just laying you out to be able to destroy your life. And so sin is being described. There's sin that's excused. If we say that we have no sin... Uh, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so we lay ourselves out in this matter by individual comparison. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12 uh, that when we are comparing ourselves with ourselves, we are not wise. And so uh, sin not only uh, is... Um, defined, but sin is excused. We excuse our sins because we say we're not as bad as someone else. So by individual comparison, we can excuse sin in ourselves, in our lives. That's your next point there, Mike. And so comparison, individual comparison. And uh, people actually think that they're okay because they're not as bad as someone else. And so if, and, you know, Somebody drinks alcohol says basically, oh, well, I'm not as bad as that drug addict. Or somebody smokes, smokes marijuana and says, well, I'm not as bad as that person that oh, uh, is doing cocaine. You know, or somebody that, that's cussing and, and looking at R-rated movies and things like that. So, well, uh, at least I'm not as bad as this uh, person that's caught up in pornography. We always want to pass the buck to somebody else. We always want to look at somebody else and say, well, I'm okay because I'm just not as bad as they are. The reality is you can always find somebody's in a worse condition than what you are. And so the way we evaluate our walk with God or our life with Christ is not by comparing ourselves with each other's because when we compare ourselves with each other's, then we excuse our wrongdoing. 
And, and that is not the basis, that's not the foundation for us to be right with God. Uh, so we excuse our sin, not only by individual comparison, but by individual rationalization. Uh, in other words, we just, we start to kind of determine in our own heart, well, what we're doing is just not really that bad. In Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 7, says, be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord and depart from evil. So, so don't sit down and rationalize what you're doing. Don't sit down and try to reason in yourself in reference to uh, was, uh, sin, that, you know, the transgression that God has so declared is a violation of his word, and it's a sin. We just need to get clean with God. We need to get right with God. And uh, if we'll stop comparing ourselves and stop rationalizing our, uh, and how we live our life, uh, maybe then the Spirit of God can start convicting our heart about some things. But the, the, dangerous, the dangerous place to be is to be a Christian, a born-again child of God, and been living your life for a while, and now you're all excited about being saved, and boy, I tell you, you were just committed to the Lord, and you were reading your Bible, and you were praying, and you were seeking after God, you were enjoying your fellowship with other Christians, and all of a sudden, little things start to come in your life. Someone starts talking to you, starts enticing you to move away from the Lord. I've watched, I, there's nothing wrong with women working, but I've, listen, I have watched over the years a woman that maybe wasn't working, she just starts working and all of a sudden now her unsaved employees that she works with start planning thoughts in her ear, you don't need to follow your husband, you don't need to be submissive to your husband, that church is a cult over there, they start planning all these things in your mind as the, as the devil whispers into your mind and grabs a hold of your heart and he snares your thoughts and you start rationalizing why you shouldn't be in church. Well, you know, I would read my Bible, but, you know, I got to get up, I got to get the kids off to school, I got to take care of these things. I mean, I do have my life. I had, I had one, I was doing counseling one time, this was years ago, and, and uh, the fellow was saying about, you know, he never knew where his wife was. He said, you know, I don't know where she's to get some work. She doesn't come home. She doesn't, and I told her, I told her, I said, you need, you need to call your husband up and tell him where you're at. She I ain't going to tell him where I'm at. She said, I don't have to submit to him and do what he tells me to do. I said, that has nothing to do with it. What about respect and honor towards one another? What about, I said, I'm going to tell you right now, I want to know where my wife is. If I'm going to be somewhere, I let her know where I'm at. If you're hiding what you're doing, it's because sin has crept into your life and you just don't want to do what's right, period. And so you're trying to pass the blame off to, on him, saying he's oppressive and this, that, and the other. She didn't like that counsel, but I find this. When people start rationalizing their sin, they never like the counsel. When people start rationalizing why they're doing what they're doing and they know it is wrong, they get very upset when the preacher, preacher comes show, showing up. We, deception of sin is it will cause you to rationalize that it's okay to do what you're doing. Notice also by individual exaltation. 
Proverbs 16 and 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction and a Holy Spirit before a fall. And so the devil will deceive you, sin will deceive you in thinking that you're better than what you are. The reality is, folks, at very best, all we are are sinners that are saved by grace. And I'm going to tell you, I had folks, some people who was in the church here years ago, and they got mad at me because I'd say that statement. We're nothing more than sinners saved by grace. That's all you are. I remember uh, Jim Benny, he was uh, doing a lesson there, and he was teaching the ladies, and he was teaching on the fact that all we are is we're built out of the sand. God formed us out of the dust of the ground. All we are is just dirt in a pot. Amen. <laughs> that's, all, that's all we are. You know, they, 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 that one song, uh, I can't think of the name of the song now. Amen. Such a worm as I, it says in there. Everybody changed that song. They didn't want to say that. They changed it to such a person as I. No, you're a worm. You're dirt. That's all you are. You're a sinner. And it's the grace of God that saves us and gives us the glory of the Lord upon us. And so don't rationalize your sin. Sin will deceive you to try to justify what it is that you're doing wrong. So by individual exaltation. Not only does uh, um, sin uh, deceive you that way, but it, it's deception versus honesty. Deception versus honesty. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. There's two things in that verse. There's deception and there's truth. And may I say this, whatever doesn't line up with truth is deception. Period. We live in a world that just doesn't believe in absolute truth anymore. And the reason why they don't want to believe in absolute truth is because they want to live in the realm of deception. Because deception, you can make anything mean anything you want. But in truth, you have to live based on what the authority of the Word of God says. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so deception versus honesty. Where are you going to live? In the realm of honesty? Or are you going to live in the realm of deception? That's what John is trying to get across to these believers. There's the sin of omission. James 4.17 says to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. So the sins of omission are just uh, not doing what you know you should be doing. Sins of omission. There is, listen, I'm I'm amazed because the reality is in the American church, I don't think there's very many people who do not know what they should be doing. I can guarantee you one thing, after being a pastor here for 24 years, I'll guarantee you, you've been in this church any length of time, you know what you should be doing. And if you're not doing it, that's a sin. Because if you know what you're supposed to be doing and you're not doing it, it's sin. So there's sins of omission. There's sins of commission. And uh, 2 Chronicles 24.20 is a good verse for you on that, but it means doing what we know that we should not do. So there's two major aspects of what sin, the deception of sin that comes in our life. Either we know what we should be doing, we just choose not to do it. Or we've been warned not to do something, and then we go ahead and do it. 
And so sins of omission and commission. So what do you deal with them? That's why he gives verse 9. How you deal with that is if we confess our sins. Once you acknowledge that there is sin, once you acknowledge there is the, uh, the uh, deception of sin, once you realize and you're willing to acknowledge in your life there's sin, then we confess our sins. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So confession is defined. It's interesting the word here that's used, that word that's translated confess. It's the Greek word homologio. Uh, homo, we know, means the same. So you have homosexuals. That's two males together, homosexuals. And uh, logio comes from the root word logos, which means word. And so when he says, if we confess, he said, if we homologio, literally what he's saying, if we speak the exact same thing. And so it means to say the same thing as God. It means to be in agreement with God. And so if I confess my sin, so in other words, I don't know, what can I use? I was an alcoholic, I'll use that. And now, um, if I say that I have a desire to drink, I remember I used to have to deal with the root of the problem, and that was the desire in my heart. The action of the drinking was the fulfillment of the lust of the heart. The action of smoking was the, re, the fulfillment of the lust of the heart. And God gave me this verse, verse uh, 1 John 1, 9, when I was trying to quit smoking. And what I did is I started agreeing with God that what I was feeling in my heart, not the lighting up of the cigarette, not the picking up of the glass of liquor, but what I was feeling in my heart. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And so when I started realizing, wait a minute, that action of drinking, that action of smoking is a sin, I got in agreement with God and I homologioed my sin. God, I agree with you. This is a sinful lust that's in my heart. God, will you forgive me? And you know what happened? God forgave me and he cleansed me. And you know what happened? An hour later, I had the same desire. And so what did I do? I prayed the exact same prayer. I'll tell you, I prayed 1 John 1, 9, probably 100 times a day. And God gave me victory. I would not allow myself to fall into the trap of saying, well, it'll be okay, just one cigarette. No, somebody doesn't catch me. I didn't allow myself to fall in the trap and say, well, it'll be okay. It's a, you know, it's not, if I don't get drunk, I can just drink one beer. I'll be okay. No, I got in agreement with God that that was a sin. The lust that was in my heart was a sin. And the only thing I could do with that sin was to confess it before the Lord. And when I confessed it before the Lord, he forgave me and cleansed me. So define, homo logio. Notice sin devised. Uh, well, confession of sin devised. In other words, why did God give us this meaning? That he did it to reveal God's character. He says, oh, well, here, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. 
So what does he want us to confess? He wants us to confess to show that God is faithful. You know, I found this. Every time I confess a sin, God's faithful. God hears my confession. God responds to me, and his character is revealed that he is one who is always faithful. He's always ready to forgive. That's your next point, Mike. He's faithful. His character. Amen. The character of God, people think, well, God's not faithful to me. Yes, he is. And if we cry out to God, God will respond to us. And so it revealed God's character. Why did he want this confession of sin? Because it would rehearse God's compassion. He is faithful and just to forgive. That is totally the forgiveness of God is completely dependent upon the compassion of God. Jesus Christ came into this world and died on the cross because God so loved this world. When man confesses his sins, God is faithful, that's his character, to forgive us. Why? Because that's his compassion. And then it was designed to release God's cleansing. Notice it says he's faithful to forgive our sins and to cleanse us. He doesn't say, okay, you're forgiven, but you're still filthy. No, he says, I forgive you and I cleanse you. I wash you up. And uh, I'm thankful that he just doesn't condemn us, but he shows compassion towards us that as he forgives, he cleans also. And then it's to restore to us God's conciliation. Uh, Conciliation says uh, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Conciliation just means to be at peace. It means to be made right with. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this wonderful means that God has given us to refresh our relationship with Him as believers in Christ is this matter of confession. It's not confession to man. It's confession of our sin to God. But you can't confess something that you haven't agreed that God is right that that's a sin. And so it hinders us many times, a sin that captures us. Then there's confrontation of sin. Notice the confrontation of the sin is just simply this. It's either our word, it's our word versus God's word. And either God's right or we're right. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 17 says, All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. So is God right or am I right? Is God right or are we right? Well, you know, this is 2019. I mean, come on. I mean, people just live different lives than what they did when Paul wrote this stuff. I mean, it was a different era right now in 2019 than when John's writing, is God right or are we right? Is all unrighteousness sin or isn't it? And if it is, then whatever unrighteous act comes into our life, then we got to get it right with the Lord. And then letter B there is just simply this, our flesh versus God's spirit. In uh, Galatians chapter 5, Paul outlines the conflict between the flesh and the spirit. We won't have time to go through all these, but I kind of defined them for you so you can think about it. And, but Galatians chapter 5 In uh, verse 16 through 23, Paul outlines the conflict. So they first fill in there over top of uh, 
underneath the letter B is flesh. And I don't know if I put the, did I put them on there? I didn't. All right, well, that, blank, that should be a blank there. It says flesh. And notice it tells us what the works of the flesh are. I'm just going to read through real quick. Adultery, it's unfaithfulness in marriage. Unfaithfulness in marriage, that doesn't mean it has to be a physical relationship. Unfaithfulness, period. Multitudes of ways that there's unfaithfulness in marriage. Fornication, that's illicit sexual relationships outside of marriage. Uncleanness, that's moral impurity. That would deal with every kind of uh, pornography and immoral conduct that you can imagine. Lasciviousness means unbridled lust. Idolatry is worshiping of false gods. Witchcraft, sorcery, and drug-induced seduction. Our, our world that we live in is consumed with drug addiction. I'm, I'm amazed that uh, every time I go to the doctor, that's all they want to do is give me drugs. They ask me, well, what, what medication are you on? None. What do you mean? I had one doctor tell me, you realize at your age you ought to be on at least five or six prescriptions. I looked at him and I said, are you nuts? I felt like saying I'm crazy enough the way I am. I don't need all that. I tell him I'm not going to take this stupid medicine. What we are, we're, 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 we're whacked. I think half of our society is whacked out because I think they're all drugged. I really do. Hatred, it's enmity and calls between your enemy. Variance is contention and quarrelsome. Some people, all they want to do is argue and fight all the time. Emulations, envious of others. Wrath, full of anger. Strife, self-seeking self -seeking pursuit with no regret for others. Regard for others, I'm sorry. Seductions is causing division. Heresies embrace doctrinal error. Envyings, resentment towards others. Murderers to slander or kill someone. Drunkenness is intoxication. Revelings is to carouse or riotous, half-drunkenness. Sad thing is, much of what you read there about the works of the flesh, you see evident in Christians' lives. But I don't see the altar full. I don't see people crying out to God and confessing. I'm going to tell you what I see on the internet, on Facebook, of what Christians are doing, where Christians are hanging out. It's a shame. It's a reproach on the name of Christ. We need a revival in America, in the church in America, where Christians start agreeing with God what sin is. Then the Spirit, that's the last fill in there. Of course, it's the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. All these things are working in the life of a Christian who is willing to confess his sins before the Lord. Brotherly love and affection, benevolence, gladness, happiness, tranquility, security and safety, uh, patience and enduring, uh, uh, moral goodness and integrity, uprightness of heart, kindness, conviction of truth, to be gentle or mild, self-controlled over desires, passions, and sensual appetites. You know, I don't know about you, but if you look at the two lists, I'd rather be in the bottom list with the Spirit. You read the top list and you say, no wonder everybody's so grumpy and so mean and so hateful. 
When you get down in the Spirit, and then you start walking in the Spirit as He's in the Spirit, and then we enjoy the power of God and the manifestation of the presence of God, then we can have victory in our life. But the Christian has to deal with a sin. The sin that condemned you to hell is, was judged at Calvary. The sin that hinders your walk with God in the present needs to be confessed every day. There needs to be confession of sin every day. Lord, show me. Show me what it is that has to be confessed. Show me what I've allowed to kind of drift into my life and it has consumed my thought pattern and my conduct. So uh, the Christian and his sin, we can deal with that. Amen. All right, we need to pray tonight.